Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. And that's important for us to look at because the Gospel of Matthew is unique and particular because of what? What is it about the God? Why is this gospel different from all other gospels? It's to the Jews. It's to the Jews. It's to Israel. And so there's a special prophetic significance about the Sermon on the Mount or about the Beatitudes that relates to Israel. And we've seen that from verse 4, that from verse 3, the poor in spirit, they're blessed because they're going to get the kingdom of heaven. As the Lord Jesus said in Luke 12, 32, Luke 12, 32, fear not, little flock, for it's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. We saw from verse four that they're blessed when they mourn because they are gonna be comforted, just like God said to Israel in Isaiah 51, 12. Isaiah 51, 12, I, even I, am he that comfort thee. We saw that from verse five that the meek are blessed because they're gonna inherit the earth. We saw from verse six that the hungry and thirsty after righteousness, they're blessed because they're gonna be filled they're gonna receive the righteousness of God. We saw from verse seven that the merciful are blessed because they're gonna receive mercy. And in verse eight, we saw that those who had a heart that was purified by God, that they're gonna see God. But now we come to verse nine with a particular eye toward Israel, where it says, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the children of God. Peacemakers. I mean, that's interesting because it doesn't say in verse nine, blessed are the peaceful, because they're gonna be called the children of God, but it says, blessed are the peacemakers. What's the difference? What is the difference between a person who is peaceful and a person who's a peacemaker? What would you say? Okay, that's a good one. Passive versus, versus active. Clinton? Oh, yeah, that's another good one. A peacemaker has an effect on others versus just on himself, being peaceful. Anybody else? Reconciliation. A peacemaker is a person who makes reconciliation for others. Okay, very good, right. Anybody else? So a peaceful person avoids stress, right? If there's stress and there's conflict, he'd rather have go, go have lunch, you know? He's a peaceful person. He's not into conflict. But a peacemaker makes peace between warring parties, which means that the peacemaker is driven to the conflict. He doesn't shrink away from war between parties. He enters into this year so he can bring peace between the, the parties that are a warring. He's a peacemaker. Peacemakers get hurt. 
But the threat of being hurt, it doesn't make the peacemaker stay away. The peacemaker, he runs into the fray. He's going to make peace. He lives to make peace. He looks for ways to make peace. He's a peacemaker. And the Lord says, blessed are those kind of people. Blessed are the peacemakers. So you look at verse 7, and you see that there's a merciful person here. You look at verse 8, and you see there's a person who's pure in heart. And then you realize that this is the same person when you come to verse 9, that it's the merciful, it's the pure in heart. He's a peacemaker. And the greatest war that there is for man is the war with God, is the war with God. And you say, why is man at war with God? What's the war? What causes to be at war with God? Well, the Bible says that a man is at war with God when he has a mind, he's got an orientation, which is all about himself. When he's just living to please himself, he's just living for self. The Bible says, the Bible calls that Living after the flesh, it calls that minding the things of the flesh in Romans 8.5. Romans 8.5, they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. They that after the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. It's at war with God. It's an enemy with God. It's not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. The carnal mind doesn't care about what God says, doesn't care about the law of God, he's living for self. The carnal mind says, hey, I'm only here for one ride. You only live once, I'm gonna get the most out, I'm gonna please myself, whatever feels good, that's great. The Bible says that sin causes a person to be at war with God. It says in Isaiah 59.1, Isaiah 59.1, the Lord's hand is not short and that it cannot save. His ear is not heavy, it cannot hear. Your iniquities have separated between you and your God. Your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. So you have in the Bible this contrast between God and the world, God and the world. And the Bible makes it very clear that you're gonna be a friend with one but not both. If you're a friend of the world, you're gonna be an enemy of God and each person has got to make their own choice. They're going to be a friend of the world, an enemy of God, or they're going to be a friend of God and an enemy of the world. And that's what it says in James 4.4. 4. James 4.4, 4, you adulterers and adulteresses, know you not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. So the lost so what the lost do, they side up with the world and say, you know, this, this world's a great place and I love this world and they're the lost and they're at war with God. And the peacemaker sees that and the peacemaker, he's not indifferent. He looks at the lost and they're at war with God and the peacemaker rushes in. He wants to make peace between the lost and God. And this is the merciful person. This is the person who's pure in heart and he doesn't, the, the, and he's the peacemaker. And the peacemaker doesn't look at the lost and say, well, too bad for him. Uh, at least I'm saved. No, the, the motto of the peacemaker is leave no man behind. Leave no lost behind. The merciful, the peacemaker, the pure in heart, the peacemaker, he doesn't look at the lost and say, well, too bad for him. Must not be part of the elect. Must not be predestined to believe. At least I'm part of the elect. I'm safe in the lifeboat. That's not the peacemaker. The peacemaker says leave no man behind. So the description of the peacemaker is given to us in great chapter, Isaiah 52. There's one verse that describes this peacemaker in verse 7 when it says, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that bringeth good tidings, that publishes peace, that bringeth good things of good, that publishes salvation, 
that saith unto Zion, thy God reigneth. So this verse describes for us what a peacemaker is. And it's a description of the peacemaker in Israel. And it doesn't say that a peacemaker is passive. A peacemaker is very active. He's out there. He's got feet that are moving. He's got a mouth that's preaching. It's publishing. He's going. He's on the move. And it doesn't just apply only to Israel. It is for Israel here. It doesn't apply to only Israel. It's just another one of God's look at Israel for an example. It's another one of God's to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And that's the phrase that's used in regard to salvation. That's the phrase that's used in regard to the gospel in Romans 1.16. In Romans 1.16, which says, where I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, it's the power of God unto salvation. It's the gospel, salvation, to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. It's Israel's salvation here. And they're being transformed, Israel's being transformed in Isaiah 52 into peacemakers, So this chapter in Isaiah 52, it opens with a call to wake up. Wake up, Israel, it says in Isaiah 52, 1. Awake, awake. Put on thy strength, O Zion. Put on thy beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city. For henceforth there shall no more come unto thee and then circumcise the unclean. So God is calling Israel to wake up. Put on strength. God has provided strength for you, Israel. Put on the strength. And when Israel obeys God in Isaiah 52.1 and they take on their new strength, they're described then in Ephesians 6.10, Ephesians 6.10, that they're gonna be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. When Israel responds to this call to wake up in Isaiah 52.1 and take this new strength, then they're gonna look at themselves and say the words of Philippians 4.13, Philippians 4.13, where they're gonna say, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. When Israel finally does take on this new strength and God supplies them with this strength, they're gonna look at themselves and they're gonna say the words of Colossians 1.11. Colossians 1.11, they're gonna say, I'm strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power unto the patience and suffering with joyfulness. But the greatest awakening that Israel's gonna have is when they're saved, and when they're going to, as it says in Isaiah 52.1, 52.1, they're gonna put on thy beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city. This means that when Israel is saved, they're gonna come to see that what they're wearing is filthy. What they're wearing is filthy garments, and God describes it, those filthy garments that Israel's wearing today when it says in Isaiah 64.6, Isaiah 64.6, and this is Israel speaking, we are all as an unclean thing in all of our righteousnesses. What we think are good work, we do that makes us righteous, they're as filthy rags. And it's such a descriptive term, I'm not even gonna say it in public, what this word is, filthy rags. And we all do fade as a leaf. Israel is speaking when they call themselves in Isaiah 64, 6, we are all as an unclean thing. When Israel is saved, they look at themselves and they say, we're dirty, we're rotten. And in, we are dirty, rotten sinners. And this is the confession that every person has to make when they're saved. If a person sees themselves as just, well, perfectly fine, there's nothing wrong, then God says, well, that's good, I can't help you. Because the Lord Jesus didn't come to call those who were perfectly fine. He didn't come to call those who were righteous or seemed righteous themselves. He came to call the dirty, rotten sinners to repentance. That's what he came, and that's what he said in in Luke 5.31. Luke 5.31, where he said, Jesus answering said unto them, they that are whole need not a physician, 
but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So when Israel is saved, they're gonna see that the reason that they are an unclean thing and that they're wearing these filthy rags is because they're not wearing beautiful garments. They're wearing filthy rags. All our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, Isaiah 64, 6. And the very thing that was supposed to make them beautiful before God that they thought, you know, their good works, their, or as they say today, their acts of charity, their acts of charity, you probably heard that from Rabbi Goldstein. If you listen to the synagogue in Poway, he's a Lubavitcher, he's a, from the Chabad, and he speaks from the Rebbe, and the Rebbe in Brooklyn spoke often about you must do acts of charity. So that's why he said we must do acts of charity. All those are stained with sin. Why? Because their own righteousnesses, and they're unclean, and God says they're filthy. And this is far worse than the emperor's new clothes, which were no clothes. This is worse, because it's filthy rags for clothes. And this is what God says about anyone who trusts in his own good works to make himself beautiful before God. Looks, God looks at the good works of man, and God says, filthy, they make you unclean. And this is the major deception today among people who they think that their good works are gonna save them. They think they're described in Proverbs 14, 12, Proverbs 14, 12, which says, there's a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. There's a deception that good works are gonna give a person eternal life. That's wrong. That's just wrong. That's fatally wrong. Because the Bible could not make it any clearer when the Lord Jesus said in uh, John 3.36, John 3.36, he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, but he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on And to really properly understand what he's saying there, there's a little word that appears after the word believeth, and it's been translated as on, believeth on. The Greek word ice. It's so critical to understand in this verse that it, the understanding of what that word means, ice, makes the difference between having eternal life or being cast into hell, which happens to billions of people. Most people today think that what the Lord Jesus was saying uh, by that word, ice, they think that he was saying, in the fact of, in the fact of. People today have the fatal deception that the Lord Jesus was saying in John 3.36, he that believeth in the fact of, the son hath eternal life. You know, just recently at the border, a border patrol agent was going through my stuff and he came across my testimony book and she said, oh, I believe in God. What she meant was that she was not an atheist, that she believed that there was a God. That is believing in the fact of God. That could also be extended to a person confessing a statement of faith, saying, I believe in this, I believe in the Bible as the inspired, only infallible, authoritative word of God. I believe there's one God eternally existent in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. I believe in the deity of our Lord Jesus Christ in his virgin birth and his sinless life and his miracles, his vicarious atoning death through his shed blood and his bodily resurrection and the ascension to the right hand of the Father and his personal return in glory and power. And many people do believe that. And they think that what the Lord Jesus was saying by the word ice in John 3.36 is that all you need to do is believe those statements and you've got it, you've got eternal life. But the problem is James 2.19, James 2.19, which says, thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. 
Problem is, with all those statements, is that they're true, but the demons believe those true statements also. They don't have eternal life. Because that little word ice in John 3.38, it doesn't mean in the facts of the Son. The best translation for the word ice in John 3.38 and others is the word into, into. So the verse would read in John 3.36, he that believeth into the Son hath everlasting life. And it raises the question of what does that mean to believe into? To believe into means to come to the Son it means to come to him, not just to believe about him, but to come to him, as you said in John 5.40, John 5.40, you will not come to me that you might have life. He came into the world. He said in John 12.46, John 12.46, I am come a light into the world. That was his move. He came. He came to us, and now each person has to make their own decision. Are they gonna come to him? Like it says in John 1.11, John 1.11, he came unto his own. His own received him not. In other words, he came into his own. His own didn't come to him. To come to him is to receive him, to take to heart what he was saying there about all that, about the physician and those that have need, like you said in Mark 2.17, that are whole, have no need of physician. They, they're sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. In order for a person to receive him, a person has to come to him as a sick person, a person who's sick with sin, a person who's sick from being dirty, rotten sinner. And to emphasize how a person has to come to him for eternal life, he uses this analogy between a patient and a physician. And a person goes to a doctor, the doctor just has one all-important question before he starts anything, and that question is what? How do you feel? What's wrong with you? What seems to be the problem? <laughs> What's your sickness? Or sometimes the doctor will say, how can I help you? Right? Let's see, you first meet a doctor. Unless you've gone to the doctor a lot of time, he doesn't have to ask. He knows what's wrong with you. This is a question the physician wants to know first. And so just picture a person who comes to the doctor. He asks him, what seems to be wrong? What's wrong with you? What's your sickness? How can I help you? And the person says, nothing. I'm perfectly fine. I'm as healthy as can be. I don't have any need of healing. The Lord uses that as an analogy. He says, and a person comes to the Lord Jesus and starts to tell him about all the good that he's done, I'm going to say to him, then he says, well, why are you here? And that's what happened. When he said in Matthew 7, 22, Matthew 7, 22, he describes many, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not? In other words, Lord, we have prophesied in thy name. We preached in your name. And in thy name we cast out many devils. We have preached out many devils in your name. And I ain't done many wonderful works. We have done many wonderful works. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. Coming to the doctor, and you tell him all the good things that you've done? He says, look, I came with the physician. I came to heal the sick. I came to heal the sinners. I came to cure that disease. The problem is that those people said nothing about having been a dirty, rotten sinner who came to him to be saved from their sins. So when Israel sees that they're clothed in these filthy rags of their own good works, and they're gonna respond to God's call, they're gonna wake up, put on the garments, and when they do, which are God's garments, of righteousness and salvation, they're gonna be so happy. It says in Isaiah 61.10, Isaiah 61.10, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. He's clothed me with the garments of salvation. He covered me with the robe of righteousness. Oh, they're gonna be so happy. In Isaiah 45.24, Isaiah 45.24, it says, surely one shall say, in the Lord have I righteousness and strength. 
And then the next verse, in the Lord shall all Israel, the seed of Israel, be justified and show glory. The hymn puts it so well. Jesus, thy blood and righteousness, my beauty are, my glorious dress. Midst flaming worlds and these arrayed, with joy shall I lift up my head. So what's gonna happen is that when all Israel abandons, and that's what they must do, abandons their own righteousness and their strength and takes the Lord's righteousness and Lord's strength, when that happens, then Romans 5, 9 is gonna happen for them. Romans 5, 9, justified by his blood. That'll be the time when all Israel will be, as it says in Romans eleven twenty six. Romans eleven twenty six. all Israel shall be saved. That's gonna be a time when Israel's gonna be sort of like Lazarus, Lazarus in the tomb, and the Lord Jesus calls him to life in John eleven forty three. Eleven forty three. And when he thus said spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus saith unto him, Loose him, let him go. That's what's gonna happen to Israel. That was the picture there of Israel. Israel, just like Lazarus, Israel is raised from the dead, just like the Lord Jesus said to Lazarus, loose him, let him go. In the second verse in this chapter, Isaiah 52.2, Isaiah 52.2, it says, shake thyself from the dust. Arise, sit down, O Jerusalem. Loose thyself from the bands of thy neck, O captive daughter of Zion. So this is a great transition that's gonna happen for Israel. They're gonna go from death to life. They're gonna go from darkness to light. They're gonna go from wandering to adoption. They're gonna go from being lost to being saved. And when is that gonna happen? It's all tied up for Israel. It's all tied up in the name of God. It's all tied up on what the name of God is. Today for Israel, it's this day of death and darkness and wandering and being lost because today is a day, as it says in our chapter, Isaiah 52.5 and verse five, Isaiah 52.5, it says, my name continually every day is blaspheme. The important words to see in that verse are every day is, every day is. That means that that's speaking about today. And it's the here and now of today. And today, the name of Jesus is blasphemed as a swear word. And today, the name of Jesus Christ is blasphemed as a cuss word. And that's what sets the people today in this state of death, darkness, wandering, and being lost. All because of what Israel does not know in terms of what the name of God is today. And that's because of what they do with the name of Jesus Christ today. But the great change from death to life, from darkness to light, from wandering to adoption, from being lost to being saved, all happens in the future of Isaiah 52.6, Isaiah 52.6, that says, therefore my people shall know my name, therefore they shall know in that day that I am he that doth speak, behold, it is I. So the important words to see in that verse are the words shall and in that day, because those words tell us that it's coming. This is not the state today. This is the state that will happen in the future, and the great change will happen in that day. Every time Israel calls God Hashem, but if you looked, that's what the Rabbi Goldstein called God from Poway, very common. Every day Israel calls God Hashem, which means the name, 
I view it, and I've told them this, as a personal, true, honest confession that they don't know the name of God. And they just call God Hashem, or the name, as in whatever his name is. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. 